Okay, hello everyone. Um, welcome, welcome. Um, welcome to day two of Days Live. Uh, thanks so much for coming. My name's Katie Metcalf and I am a video commissioner at the global video platform Nowness, which is part of the Days Media family. Um, and it's my pleasure to be here to introduce this panel, um, collective, collective effort, creating art spaces beyond the institution. So we're here to discuss the rising power of collectives and how they can provide structure for those working on the margins and outside of institutional frameworks. Um, so this, this panel will be hosted by Habibi Collective, which is the open source digital archive and curator curatorial platform celebrating women's filmmaking from the Southwest Asia and North Africa. Um, so firstly, I'd like to introduce you to our host, Roisin Tapuni. <coughs> And she's an uh, Assyrian-Iraqi-Irish film curator and programmer based in London. And as well as being the founder of Habibi Collective, she's also the founder and CEO of Shasha, founder and editor-in-chief of Artwork magazine and founder of, independent, of the Independent Iraqi Film Festival. She's a writer at Freeze magazine and has recently been awarded the world-leading PhD Art History Scholarship at St Andrews University. And joining her on this panel will be uh, Bolanye Tajuzine, and she's the founder of Black Blossoms, which is an expanded curatorial platform showcasing contemporary black women and non-binary artists since 2015. The tw in 2020, Bolanye launched the Black Blossoms School of Art and Culture, an online learning platform decolonizing art education. And also joining her will be Christy Costello, um, and she's a member of the anti-work art collective Bare Minimum. They are currently the collective in residence at the ICA 2021 to 2022. She's also a PhD candidate in the University of Cambridge's History of Art Department. Her project ex projects experiments with alternative ways of thinking through and with work by queer and mad artists, focusing on Kate Millett's works on paper and performance art. Uh, so please welcome our panellists. <laughs> and with that, I'll, I'll hand over to you, Roisin. Thank you so much. Uh, can everyone hear me at the back as well? Okay, great. Um, so first of all, I'd just like to hear a bit about Black Blossoms and Bare Minimum Collective. So uh, what are they about? How did you set them up? And um, how did you set them up? Why? Um, do you want to say? Okay. Hi everyone. I'm so happy to see all of your faces. Um, I started Black Blossoms when I was in University of the Arts London. Um, I was, I'd done a degree in public relations and being around like CSM, LCC, LCF, I quickly came to realise that there was so much creativity happening but I didn't really see people who looked like me being like put up for awards or the faces of like campaigns throughout the university so um, alongside a lot like campaigning for like more diversity of lecturers and stuff I really wanted to create a safe space um, for me and my friends to like kick it and like do creative creative things basically and then um, I started to organize exhibitions and they were really small and they were really bad. Like, they were terrible. Like, I remember we used to hang stuff up with blue tack and things would be falling down. But then in 2016, I had the opportunity and I don't know, are many of you from UAL? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> you all look like art school students. Um, um, 
the campus in High Holborn, there was like where the shop is now that used to actually be a really big exhibition space. And um, I got to create an exhibition there and it was really big, like it was still in a BBC documentary. It got loads of press. And then I quickly realized that the things that I wanted to say, that I wasn't always the best at saying it and that the artists that I knew could say these things without us necessarily giving over too much um, labour in like emotional labour like constantly discussing racism, sexism, misogynoir and everything. So that's how like the curatorial platform started and then we've done a touring exhibition across the UK. Um, it was it was really fun, good times. I had no money, it was like it was hilarious. I don't know how we done it. But then um, last year during the pandemic, I've always campaigned for more diversity in teaching. So I actually teach at UAO as well. So I've always campaigned for more diversity. And I just felt that whilst like we're campaigning these institutions to change, I felt that I could create an online school because everything was going on Zoom and I could make it really affordable and have loads of people like come online and like talk about art and what's really great is that we have art school students to like curators from really prestigious institutions and they get to network with each other and that's what I really like I like the like everyone has the same amount of power in that space and it's also removing barriers to access for people that you could where sometimes that you don't get to like network across that kind of up down um, although I think sideways networking is the most important um, so, bare minimum, we, uh, we were all friends in undergrad, right? Like, we did not have the name bare minimum, but we spent a lot of time, like, organizing together, doing a lot of feminist organizing, a lot of activism, and making stuff kind of, like, informally, right? We all had writing and visual art practices. Um, and we also were trying to survive at an institution that was not made for us. Um, most of us are dykes, most of us are black or people of colour, most of us are disabled and um, before bare minimum was officially bare minimum we made work together informally but we also like kept each other alive <laughs> during our degrees because um, it wasn't like a super great space for any of us um, and then we graduated and all ended up in London and just kind of like drifted, stopped making work together, maybe stopped um, having the same kind of care network for each other that we once had. Uh, and so we got together and we were like, let's make stuff again. Let's look after each other better again. Let's give it a name because we're allowed to. We can, you know, we can be confident in this and we can make things. Um, and I think a lot of us had also stopped making work individually because when you're disabled, it's hard sometimes to get things done. Um, but when there's six of you and you're working together, you can, you can like, you know, tick some more boxes maybe than you can when you're not well, right, and on your own. Um, so we started making work again together in a very, very low-key way because we decided we were going to be lazy, we were going to be anti-work, <laughs> um, and we wrote this very, like, tongue-in-cheek manifesto where we just said, like, you know, we don't believe that the art world or art institutions can be changed from the inside. We don't believe in kind of like institutional critique from within. We will take your money, we'll do what we want with it, but we're not gonna be like, you know, 
token diversity whatever's for you we're not going to have our picks taken for like <laughs> you know your magazines or whatever um and we might not do anything with money we might just take it because part of our practice is being together and loving each other caring for each other keeping each other alive and if you guys ever are doing a grant application and want to make sure that you're not going to have too much oversight about what you do it's a great way to make a part of your practice saying that you don't do much right um but that was also kind of an aspirational document for us because we all live under capitalism and it makes you into this subject that wants to be productive. It wants to like, you know, you want to push yourself. You feel like your peers are maybe doing all these things and you're falling behind. And there's this constant pressure as a creative, right? To always be making, always be doing, always be onto the next thing. Um, and like, we wrote this manifesto as well to be like, let's, let's not keep living like that, right? Um, so yeah, we started writing together, making films together. Um, and eventually we were approached by the ICA who read our manifesto and said, we'll still give you money, <laughs> which was nice of them considering what it says. Um, and we've been in residence with them for the last year, um, kind of doing events, but because of the pandemic, it's been a bit difficult. Um, and I guess our practice during the pandemic has mostly been keeping each other alive, <laughs> um, but we also, are writing a lot, we're thinking together, we're planning events, we're making a film um, and trying to stay true to the kind of aspirational fuck you part of our manifesto essentially. So yeah. Great. Um, you, you said care network um, at one point which I think is really important to speak more about. So how do you think collectives can um, yeah, provide a care network or support network um, thinking particularly around access um, in a way that institutions can't? Well, <laughs> I mean, the thing about institutions, right, is that institutions, we can rail against the institution as much as we want, um, but institutions are made up of people, like of individual people, and there's always gonna be some good people in the institution that if you do choose to work with an institution, like, hopefully you can find those people and it's okay. Um, but as for like, what community, like, yeah, care networks in a collective can do that the institution can't. I mean, endless things, right? <laughs> like, the institution is never going to love you back, but my community does love me back, thank God. Um, and, you know, the ICA or the Tate or whoever is never going to come and, like, pick you up out of bed and sit with you and make you a cup of tea and open your email inbox for you and help you write back, like, the responses that you can't write <laughs> on a Sunday for, you know, no money that's not ever gonna happen. Um, but, you know, like, being in the collective that I'm in, we already did these things for each other, but by agreeing to be in this collective, we formalize the responsibilities of care that we have for one another. And it's very important to us that the core of our collective is not a shared kind of aesthetic ideal, it's not um, shared goals of where we wanna go in the art world or anything like that. Like, the core of what we are is care for each other that enables us to make more things than we would otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that those um, kind of objectives are always at the core of the institution, mm -hmm. right? So. And how would, Black how would you say Black Blossom's response to care, um, support structures, what, um, what can you form with your team that you, that you saw was missing from institutions? So, um, 
We have a WhatsApp group with over 200 black women and non-binary people in the art world and we are constantly sharing like articles, people are always asking for help and like it's a really intergenerational group and people form their own sort of collectives in that group so someone's working on a project, they'll put it in the group, someone will be like do you want to jump on the project and for me, care in the art world, it looks very similar to what you're saying, but it also, for me, it's also about access. Um, black women and black non-binary people rarely get access into institutional spaces, so it's about finding ways for them to get access in these spaces and then navigate those spaces. So I'm not anti-institution, but I also know that institutions won't save us. Um, and I always think about people like Labena Hamid. Um, she's actually got a piece of work in the tape with the carrot dangling um, over her. Um, and she talks about how that, you know, there's, a, there's an allure like going into the institution, but understanding that everything that we need to survive, like you said, is within ourselves already. And um, that's how care looks like for Black Blossoms, but also very much on a real financial level. Um, I the school makes all the like all the lecturers get paid from the school then the money that's made in profit is reinvested into like the articles so there's that we've got the black blossoms journal every single writer is paid the same as they get paid on like a the journal like you know we're a small audience but I'm still proud about how our pay structure is set up that it's still um, we're meeting London living wage if not um, more so um, and then we're also providing a spotlight to creatives who wouldn't get the necessary necessary spotlight in bigger sort of platforms. Um, so I guess care for me is just making sure that we're seen and heard. Um, and yeah, resting as well. I like the idea of being able to rest. That, that plays a lot in my personal practice, but I understand that each person um, who works with Black Blossoms has a different point of view about how they want to manoeuvre and operate in the system. So I wouldn't necessarily say we're a collective, but we do come together to work together quite often. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, and uh, thinking from, I mean, from the perspective of setting up Habibi Collective uh, years ago um, and only discovering a few years later that there's a long history of film collectives in the in the UK. I mean, the AFC, Sankofa Chedo Retake, Witch, Women of the Law, there's a lot. Um, so are there any particular histories that your work is contributing to? Um, and what conditions do you think are different between um, the, the legacies that you're building now? Like, how is that different to your, your predecessors? So I think a lot about the black arts movement in the 80s. I, I, my work wouldn't exist without Labena, Keith Piper, Eddie Chambers. It just would not exist in the same way. The um, Caribbean arts movement. Um, these groups are like the first kind of groups to come together on a political, social and economic level to talk about the contribution of black artists in the UK. Um, and then when I look at Labena, uh, Maud Salter, Sonia Boyce, Claude, um, Claudia Johnson specifically, they came together to form groups away from the black arts movement that just focused on women and queer identities in the arts. Um, it's interesting when people ask if things are different or if things are the same. I think 
what we had in the 80s what happened in the 80s is that there was lots of riots um, and so therefore black artists were pulled out from every corner of England, Midlands, London to sort of create public murals, to do a lot of talks, a lot of panels, very similar to what's happening now and last year. So I see those similarities and then what and then you got to the 90s and then you had the um, YBAs come out and it kind of overshadowed the black arts movement. Instead of these two sort of groups working side by side to make a change in the art world, it was like the black arts movement no longer mattered. Um, the difference that I would say that I see now in the art world is that we black artists, black creatives, we just have more visibility. So it's harder to sort of overshadow the work that many of us are doing. And I think there's just, I wouldn't say there's necessarily more allies because in every kind of revolution, there's always been allies from the apartheid to black arts movement. There's all like, um, Griselda Pollock was a huge advocate and ally of the black arts movement um, and Anne Wormsley was a huge advocate of the Caribbean arts movement. So there's always been allies, but I just think there's more confidence in the way black creatives are like not going to shy away. So I'm really interested in like 2022, 2023 when, you know, the black squares are a very historical moment and then seeing how like we navigate then especially because I'm in like the fine art sector I, I always like the commercial fine art sector is super racist it's super sexist so in that sense there's no difference but on a sort of when working like with the institutions like ICA Tate like you said there is more people within those institutions that want to make change so yeah it's yeah, I'm not really sure. No, that was a great answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any sort of legacy or historic historiography that bare minimum yeah. is building upon? Um, well, I would say that um, a kind of strong current for us is this idea of world building. Uh, like that's quite, you know, we're quite kind of utopian in this idea that being together and making together, we're trying to be outside of the capitalist hellscape <laughs> that we currently live in, right? Um, and I think for quite a lot of us, um, the rebel dykes in like the 80s in London are, inspiration is maybe the wrong word, but I think there is a certain legacy there that we're engaged with. Um, so like the, the rebel dykes, it's a name that's been given to them recently now that people have started writing more about this group of people, but basically it was like a group of dykes in kind of Brixton, who were making art, so Della Grace Volcano you might have heard of, Tessa Boffin, often photography, um, that was documenting their friendships, their love life, sex they were having, parties of all kinds, take a look, they are very wild. Um, <laughs> and um, there were some venues that they sort of coalesced around, some club nights like Chain Reaction, which was like a BDSM lesbian night. Um, and they you know, lived in squats and really in a very sincere way tried to engage with this act of world building of being outside of um you know normative society and i think that that has inspired us but the difference between bare minimum now and maybe rebel dykes then is that their utopianism had yeah this kind of sincerity that i wish that we could have you know i think there was a sense of possibility maybe that 
we don't fail, sadly, right? Um, so our manifesto and our work that is kind of like a this tongue-in-cheekness and that we don't really think ultimately that these other worlds are possible, sadly. <laughs> we want to try, you know, we believe in trying as much as we can because that is better than taking what we're given, right? Um, but, you know, we know the history of rebel dykes and how they all ended in massive infighting <laughs> afterwards and we know the very different world that we're living in to them and I think there is... Um, maybe a little more, I mean, pessimism is the wrong word, but um, a sense of like self-consciousness or something. I don't know, I'm grasping for the right word here that maybe wasn't there. Okay. I don't know, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe so pessimism is the right word, oh God. <laughs> yeah. um, something that you're both doing is working a lot with uh, local communities. Uh, with your sort of local ecosystem. So how do you, how are you working with local communities in London and what sort of, um, are there any particular groups um, that may be useful to share with people here as well that, um, and how have you been working with these local communities? Um, well, uh, we are working with the Feminist Library at the minute actually um, to do a couple of workshops. Please come if you're interested. Um, and they basically asked us for ostensibly for Black History Month, um, to engage with their archive material and um, get the local community to engage in it and make something, not just us, but like with the community. Um, so we're going to be like, we've been through the archive, we've found some very like strange and interesting things. Um, and we're going to have like an event where people will come in and rather than facing the blank page on their own, most of these people have never written anything before, like we're all gonna, collectively write together um, and then have like a night of readings where again people who may ha have never read anything in public before are going to read, read what we've made together and I think like you know that's one example but we do stuff like this kind of often in that we don't just want to make work with each other we want to make like f we're kind of grasping towards a practice where we can make with anyone anytime like a collective way of working that really is collective where you don't have to be part of a kind of in-group to be part of making together so yeah um so since 2020 yeah last year um black blossoms has been partnered with we've partnered with keswick and chelsea art week and we do murals across Keswick and Chelsea and it's a selection of black women and non-binary artists creating artworks that respond usually to things happening in the local area. So the first one we did looked at um, the history of Freston Road in um, Labbock Grove and we used the, I, um, I, um, I didn't know about the history of Freston Road. So a quick history is that Freston Road um, it's in Labrick Grove and it used to be its own republic so basically they took away they became their own government in that little area it's really weird that they found a loophole in the United Nations so to get in there you had to have a passport 
this, I think people like the, it was, it's, re, it's a really, really cool history. Like you had people like the Sex Pistols come in there and play. Ambulance couldn't come in like willy nilly. Like you literally had to have your own passport. They had their own flag and they had their own motto called We Are One Family. So using like their sort of safe state that they created for themselves, we reimagined a safe state for black lives and what that would look like. So that was the first mural. And then the second mural was um, Golden Ashes, which was about the Grenfell community. And um, the next one actually, which I'm gonna talk to you about, hopefully will be about rest. Um, Cause I'm really into the NAP ministry and her whole, whole idea of black women resting and everything. So that's how I work in local communities. Whether or not I'm working with local communities is a bit different. Like the first mural um, pe people from the local area had to vote for, um, I don't like to pretend that like I'm super involved in my community anymore because I'm just not. I used to be maybe when I first started working in the arts, but I think I have to like assess my privilege within the art world and know that I'm a bit removed from quite a few um, things that happen in ENDS now. Like I'm still from ENDS, but I'm not like at the same time. <laughs> like I don't, yeah, it's, there's, it's really strange because I we, I have this conversation a lot about I'm from ends. I grew up in a block. Like I'm working class. I became a single mum at 19 as well. So I have a lot of experiences that are like very much working class and endsy. But I guess I work in the art world. I have access to mad things like, and it's like what happens when you're no longer you can no longer associate with the, not associate, but you no longer have the same sort of worldviews as the, a lot of the people you grew up with. It does change you and you have to like, really like, my, if I wanted capital for a project, my access to that is quick compared to someone I grew up with who wants to start something as well. So the, the way I help people from ends when they message me is like, yeah, B, I need help. Like I can offer help in that regard, like personal time, how to do an application. Um, so I'm a, on a panel called, um, I'm on a, I'm a judge for the grand, the grand, uh, grand prize. So please check it out. We give a thousand pounds to three creators of color every month. So <coughs> things like that I send round in like f from people in my area, but yeah, it's about, yeah, I don't want to pretend that like I still do things in ends when it's not like I'd, I'm not on the front lines no more. And it happens quite. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it happens. And yeah, it's something that you constantly think about as a for me anyway, as a young black woman who understands a lot of things, I constantly think that some of the work I do can sometimes come across quite superficial compared to like what I, I know what it's like to be in poverty on the breadline living on a council estate compared to like wanting to fight Tate for like showcasing an exhibition for do you know it's just yeah it's something that mm -hmm. and it is trying to yeah reconnect with communities in a way because yeah it's something that obviously in a completely different capacity I experienced like coming from yeah, a family where it's you know, it, it wasn't a wealthy family really, it wasn't, no one was working in the arts, so trying to, um, yeah, assessing privilege and seeing how you can bring it back. We mainly do like <coughs> fundraising, the community fundraisers and things like this, but it's a constant like, uh, 
yeah, it's, it's an acknowledgement of privilege and a constant struggle as well to think about how you can keep bringing it back to community, bringing it back. Um, and speaking of that, I guess, you know, what so far we've been discussing collectives, it's, they sound great. <laughs> um, so what are the limitations of running a collective? Um, I mean, and I, I, I'm interested to see how maybe you would link that to sustainability because uh, something that I found was, um, yeah, it's hard to, it, we touched upon moving between institutions and uh, grassroots spaces, this abolitionist approach to institutions was very, you talk, very, um, um, what's the word, um, uh, very, you know, it would be great, but it's not realistic. Um, so, yeah, what are the kind of limitations and how do you make a collective sustainable, like, financially and, um, and, and, yeah, and structurally as well? Well, I think for us it's sustainable um, because for, for all of us, we don't really care about the institution or, like, traditional notions of success or whatever, right? Like, we just want to be together. And I think like it can be really difficult if you have a very clear set of like, this is where I'm starting from and this is where I want to go. And we don't really want to go anywhere. <laughs> like, you know, we're happy where we are. Yeah. And if we do get somewhere, that's great. Um, but we also all have day jobs and none of us ever want to be financially reliant on bare minimum because I think like that would also be very compromising. Um, but yeah, I mean, these people are my five closest friends. And working with friends, I'm sure you guys know, I'm sure you're all doing group projects at some point. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> and it can feel quite ironic to, you know, be doing an interview and be like, yeah, we're based on love and care and blah, 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 whatever. And you, maybe you're in a fight with someone <laughs> about like something that you're doing, right? Um, but I think for me, it comes down to like, there's such a level of security that I don't have in maybe the rest of my professional life where I completely trust these people. We have such a solid foundation together um, that I know that, you know, they will be held accountable for, like, hold themselves accountable for their stuff. I'll hold myself accountable for mine. And we make it work in the end. We're all very committed to that. Um, and, you know, we have our own sort of document, which we based on um, Sisters Uncut's responsibility document about like restorative justice and disagreement and we even though there's only six of us we like have a formal process about what happens if things are getting difficult right which can involve mediation and all of this stuff which we haven't ever had to do but I think you know to work collectively that is this utopian idea that it makes everything so much easier and so much less work and that that can be true on the one hand but on the other I think it's like very very important to be realistic about disagreements that can happen and have like a very clear plan about where you go if if that happens yeah okay. black blossoms has none of that <laughs> <laughs> but um it's really interesting like i never want to do anything else but black blossoms so i guess black blossoms is always going to be compromised because it needs to be financially like it needs to make money because <laughs> I rely on it for money and some of the other people that work with me. I've never really called Black Blossoms a collective as well. I've always been a bit, because I, at the end of it all, the, like, the final decision just does lie with me. 
usually though I take into perspective every, the perspectives with ugh, with everybody I'm working with but um, yeah I had a phone call this morning actually um, with the painter Dreff um, he paints huge murals across London and um, because I want to set up an advisory board for Black Blossoms and he's like once you do that you know you're becoming more institutionalized and I was just like hmm interesting he goes you know that's when it starts to become clunky and and right now the benefit the beauty of having like the platform the way it's set up is that if tomorrow I wanted to do something I, I can just do it there's no uh, there's no like decision making structures it can just be done and um, I guess the hardest thing about running a platform like Black Blossoms is like not being able to cater to every single black woman creative and artist because that really hurts. Like, I get so many DMs and messages and it's and that's why I need Black Blossoms to be more sustainable and make more money so we can have hire more people because it's time when people are asking questions about certain things it's also a lot of time it's mentoring and I want to be able to pay mentors to give people proper advice rather than off-the-cuff advice like yeah you should do this you should do that mm -hmm. so for me like the the struggle of it's not even a struggle but I constantly think about ways that Black Blossoms can make more money so we can expand and do more things and like help the community the community that I'm interested in helping and it's actually it's really interesting it's because it's not just black women and black non-binding people I actually see it as people of color in a whole I, I want black blossoms to expand to like Brazil um, India West Africa like there's so many different territories around the world that I feel like uh, alternative arts educations needed so it's thinking about that kind of growth and then I completely it becomes a business it becomes like oh my gosh I have to do a business plan oh my gosh I have to talk to people that I don't really feel comfortable talking to about money and it changes everything actually once you once you once you grow a collective that is no longer or you grow something that's no longer grassroots and you want it to sort of play in this kind of international business art world it becomes so different and I think I look at platforms like Girl Dem and Black Ballad and see how they started very like grassroots collective and then now a lot of them have like boards and it, it does change it becomes very serious when you very quickly but the problem is there isn't enough black led businesses in this industry and I wouldn't want to limit the capabilities of Black Blossoms because I would want it to stay grassroots. I, I, want, I want to push it as far as it can go because it, that's really important for me. Yeah, and it's a similar thing again, experiencing a Habibi Collective because it was just me running it until this year. And now I have amazing people who are, some of them are here. Um, there's six, uh, six more people now who are, are really good friends and amazing people working in the industry. Um, and it's just balancing that thing of, you know, we want to do lots of things. We want to start a production company and we want to uh, even applying for grants. We're doing like a film season next, next month on film collectives and things like this. And it's, uh, yeah, just trying to growing and scaling up to use that you know business term but also really just maintaining integrity and maintaining the authenticity and being like at the end of the day 
this is what I want to do forever. You know, my love is uh, women's cinema from the region. That's all I want to do. So it's, yeah, it's really hard. It's a constant struggle, like constant moving between. Um, but I think once you're comfortable in both spaces, it gets a bit easier to navigate and with support as well mm -hmm. from other people. It's really, it's changed everything. <laughs> Having uh, other people to, uh, and, and not just other people, really good friends to, to join um, has been really fruitful. Um, so Have you been able to find any other sort of platforms that do the kind of care community aspects whilst also having a business model? Um, yes, there are quite a lot. Um, I mean, in terms of uh, in, in terms of like Southwest Asia, North Africa, um, Azima, who are also doing, uh, I think, workshops and a talk or something at Days Live. Um, and there's a few other for uh, for like our community specifically. Um, but I think what we're doing is, I mean, because I work between film and art industries, which are very different. And so it's kind of navigating business models within both and also setting up the streaming service, which is completely different from Habibi Collective, even though it's run by me and I employ people from the collective. Um, but it's, it, that's kind of what we're, we're it's, it's a, that is a business, you know, it's a, it's a streaming service, it's transactions are involved, it's registered as a limited company. Um, so, we, that's, by doing that, it's like, okay, let's keep Habibi Collective, the grassroots sort of platform. Um, and even just thinking about, do we register Habibi Collective? Um, because obviously we're paying people, even like, you know, for this event, it's like, okay, how, how am I gonna pay you guys? So it's like, through my personal, I can't keep doing through my personal bank account. So thinking about things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, yeah, I think it's something that, a lot of us who set up collectives, like maybe like 2016, 2017, we're, 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 I can feel like we're all trying to figure it out right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's amazing about, you know, speaking to you guys, it's, there's, there's a few, there's a lot of collectives now, mm -hmm. and well, not collectives, platforms or organizations. Um, and I think what's beautiful about all of them is the support and supporting each other. This is not a competition. This is about decentralizing resources, sharing contacts, being very accessible. Um, I'm an extremely accessible person. Um, and I think, you know, you guys are as well. So yeah, just kind of, I think we can, we can, we can kind of do it. Um, to, and it, it, I'm being very optimistic, but I think we can we are figuring it out together yeah um and it's very similar sorry it's very no, similar like black blossoms itself isn't registered like i would never want to register highlighting black women and non-binary yeah. like to me that's like it wouldn't make sense but the school is registered that's the business yeah. Yeah. and it becomes it becomes its own sort of like i don't want to use the word beast because i don't think that's a nice word but it becomes its own sort of thing where you have to have this business hat on and it kind of that business the school helps runs black blossoms at the end of the day the money we get from black blossoms school helps does stuff that i want to do so it yeah it is really it's a really interesting um juxtaposition yeah for sure I admire that you guys straddle that line because we just say no to a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, we really do because yeah. you know we we don't want to have like 
totally admire you guys for dealing with it. We, we can't cope with that messiness. We just want to like make what we make. <laughs> and we have started dealing with, you know, thousands of pounds and all of this, and it's made things a lot harder, especially because so much of our work as well, getting more kind of like public recognition. It's made like from community for community, like by sort of us for like uh, a queer community that we know, but it's got this bigger platform now and that feels like another challenging thing being in a collective is that, you know, like for instance, Lola, one of the members of our collective is about to like put out a novel that's based on all of us and like is of kind of about trying to, you know, feel towards what, communicating what it is to be together, right? Yeah. And um, it feels, you know, like that's great. And in principle, we all support each other artistically and totally support each other's artistic freedom. But also now like scaling up in size that has so much more attention. And I'm like, I'm okay, I'm a named person in this novel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, know, yeah. it's strange. And the visibility is, yeah. is difficult as well. I mean, yeah. Habibi has like a lot of followers on Instagram and this yeah. tick thing, which I'm like such an auntie on Instagram. Like I don't really like, like I just post when I want to post if I have anything to post on and I haven't really been using the Habibi collective account recently just because I'm like I don't know I'm just a bit bored of uh, posting on Instagram um, so I think and, and I always return to this kind of right to opacity like you know there is um, it's it's our right um, to not um, you know commodify ourselves brand ourselves and just to keep hustling and working in the background and then recognition will come when it comes because yeah. it's deserved um, i'm conscious of time because we only have the 15 minutes left um i just want to ask you quickly what are you what is um what are you working on right now that people can like come to see or like watch online um, and then we're going to open up questions to everyone i don't even know um <laughs> Literally, I'm working internally at the moment. Um, so the school, it's, it's the school's first year um, and I'm not completely happy with how some of the courses, all the courses have been great, but sometimes we start two weeks late, then advertise and little things like that. So there's a lot of teething issues that I'm going to be working on with the team to sort out. Um, so it's a lot of internal work at the moment. Um, but I have a, I curated an exhibition for Black Pound Day, um, which is in Westfield, um, West London, White City. So you can go check it out. Um, it's got five black, six black artists in there who are working on things around identity and belonging. And um, I'm curating something else. But in terms of like Black Blossom stuff, there's nothing right now. Um, hopefully there'll be courses next year <laughs> it's always like before you email with someone like i'm gonna definitely email you to do some lectures but like before you always email to do get people to do lectures there's so much anxiety like will they say yes will they say no so it's just like teething all that stuff out and trying to yeah yeah that's it i'm working internally <laughs> Yeah, what, are you guys resting? Oh, we're always resting. <laughs> um, yeah, we're doing a lot of resting. Um, but we've got this workshop at the Feminist Library in Peckham, I think, on the 25th. Should be going up on the website, like, tomorrow. 25th of October? Or yes, okay. October, yeah. Um, so if you guys want to come and write with us, it's going to be me and Lola Olufemi. And then there's going to be a night of readings from that on the 16th of November. 
so keep an eye out. Um, we'll post about it on Instagram. <laughs> and yeah, we, I mean, that's the thing. We don't do that much. That's kind of the point. <laughs> um, but we are, we are still in residence of the ICA. That's been on hold for a while because of the pandemic. Um, but with things opening up again, we can have access to studio space more. Um, we're doing a film and there will be like an updated program on the ICA's website, like in the coming months, we're gonna do some performances some workshops, so please come. Great, thank you. Um, we have some time for questions. So if anyone has questions, just like wave. Um, and uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, we, we're all, we've all been in academia. Um, for me, um, so I did my, uh, my BA in Complet and my MA in History of Art and then my PhD in History of Art. Um, I was always working full-time alongside studying full-time just because I needed to. Um, I was at uni to study <laughs> um, and that was kind of I, I felt like I wasn't really connected as much to the, yeah, I was like, I'm there to study, I'm not, <laughs> I had my community, but what I'm trying to say is I had my community, you know, from, from, from work and things. Um, so it was especially difficult for me doing, deciding to do a history of art because I am, I'm an expert in film and in particularly uh, also visual art from Southwest Asia, North Africa. I don't know anything about Western art, like to be honest. So uh, I really wanted that grounding and it was just not, it was not the one, you know, that MA was like, I mean, it was definitely stepping stone to PhD, but really it was like, they, there was like, I remember there was um, a core, it was like a week for feminism, a week for post-colonialism. Like this should just be integrate, uh, integrated into the whole core structure. Like we don't need a week for each like, you know, um, diversity box, whatever. Um, so I don't really have, yeah, my experience wasn't great. The PhD, I got like a full scholarship and that's great because it's, it's self-taught um, and with teaching, I really love teaching and I've, I teach like all like internationally as well um, and it's a great way to engage with students um, and a lot of them say you know that because not that many professors weirdly in history of art are actually have an active practice um, outside so I think just being as like hands-on with them as, as much as possible and I ran a course at UCL uh, curating political documentaries just like la last month or the month before and again it was very kind of collaborative um, and yeah I think taking that teaching model as well something that I wish I had when I was um, studying um, but I mean places like UCL St Andrews they're not going to change you know they're, they're really not so um, I don't know if you guys have similar experiences or any different things. Yeah, I mean, I think like you mentioned, yeah, this split between academic art history and practice and collective kind of work. And I think there's like 
a reason for that, which is that art history is a discipline that's based on this idea of like the singular genius artist, right? This kind of evaluative art history that means that as a discourse, it can't hold definitely collective work, right? Because it's not just one person. They can't hold, you know, basically people who aren't like incredibly stale white men, right? Um, <laughs> and that's a shame. Um, and doing my PhD, like a lot of it is trying to think about why the discipline can't hold these practices and ways that it can in the future, right? Um, and it's hard because that requires like a different way of thinking through and with these figures and a different way of writing them. And um, it means that, you know, my work can, can be sometimes considered not like good art history, right? Because it's not, uh, doesn't agree with these kind of foundational premises of the discipline that I'm not into. <laughs> um, but, you know, I got my scholarship, they can't stop me. So I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't actually have an arts degree. I've got a degree in public relations and then I have an arts communication. I've got a PG cert, which enables me to teach art communication and design, which is really, and I always found it weird that UAL didn't have an art history degree. I couldn't understand why Creative Uni didn't have art history. And then the Slade, like the art, the um, art MAs are taught separate from art history. I just found it really, I've always found it really weird. But for my PG cert, um, so when I was in UAL, I started a campaign called UAL So White because only 20, there was only 21 BAME lecturers compared to like 661. Um, white lecturers and um, those statistics like really like it shook me to my core especially knowing that like BAME students um, were 21% less likely to get a first or, their, or a T1 compared to their white counterparts so in my PG cert I said that um, my I looked at how short courses around social justice diversity can actually help attainment and help um, students from non-white backgrounds get higher grades because if you're studying art at uni or whatever you're studying like it's a very rigid sort of um core structure it's very rigid they they can't teach outside of the lines and like the books that they're referencing and all of that it's it's really boring like i i i've looked at a lot of them and i just used to be like there's there's nothing that's quite up to date and then um so I remember proposing this in my PG cert and then just being like, yeah, I actually got a third in my PG cert, which I find hilarious because then I went off to launch the school, which is quite successful. <laughs> and it's basically me, so I was just like, yeah, whatever. Because sometimes practice doesn't actually go with academia because the academia world don't understand, like, the, the there's a limitation. They couldn't understand that how implementing short courses alongside people's degrees that they can opt into, which is basically modular. They couldn't understand how that would help attainment. And I know that a lot of black students go off to um, do dissertations um, on their own culture. 
And if you haven't got the reference points because your tutor is always talking about white men, then you're going to obviously fail. And I remember like being in, um, I was education officer in the student union and one of the students was like, yeah, my teacher didn't know what vibe was. So I basically got a tutu and they had to appeal. So you got things like that. And it's just like, because there's no, and then also they probably don't even have the language to explain it because the language that they're being taught within their normal courses isn't expanded to our worldview, like a different worldview that isn't white and patriarchal. So yeah, I just, I don't know how, like, because I have a school, everyone's like, oh yeah, you must be so smart. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I really, I, I really flopped uni. I've never been like academic in that sense, but I really enjoy learning and that for me is good enough. Like the enjoyment of learning, just because I don't necessarily, or I can't necessarily turn that learning into like a really good essay. I'm not really bothered by that because it doesn't define me. Um, and I still think that you can go off and do really amazing things in the world with a two-two or a third or whatever. Um, and I've been, even with my low grades, I've been asked to do PhDs, I run away from them because again, I'm just like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've got the mental capacity to do a PhD. And I, again, I don't think academia can, I want, to, I want to change things. And I don't know if, if the thoughts that I have to put in my PhD, the, my PhD supervisor would understand because I'm practical, so. Yeah. I get what you mean though. I think for me it's like the, rather than trying to think about, you know, how do we marry art history and practice or all these things, I'm like, I don't identify as an academic. I don't even identify as an artist. Like, yeah. you know, Sadia Hartman has this idea of the scavenger methodology, which is just like take what you can and what is helpful to you and do what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, that's how I try to live to be in the institution that is academia or whatever but not be like of the institution yeah. i think is important it's me. very yeah. easy to become of the institution like i've seen it happen it's very quick it's very easy the most radical person could be in the institution yeah. for a year and it's, it's a game changer for them and their practice so um, and yeah, I think with also the reason why we started uh, the Habibi Collective podcast was because, yeah, because we found that all of, I, well, I found that all of this knowledge when I was getting invited to unis was contained within the sort of elitist circles. And it was like, how can we bring that back to our own community? So doing these kind of same lectures, but just in podcast form and making it free and making it accessible. So thinking of strategies like that, I think is really effective as well. And for people working in collectives, uh, we have uh like four minutes so a very brief question and maybe directed to just like one person just so we we don't go over does anyone have any questions uh okay great um thank you so much everyone for joining us and thank you so much guys for uh being here